When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Empire. Hello and welcome to my podcast. Do me a favor, subscribe to the John Conn Report wherever you get your podcast. You're watching on YouTube, hit that like button, hit that subscribe button. You can find us there as part of Empire Media. That's A M P I R E. Always much appreciated when you tune in. Don't forget, you can read my work on ESPN.com. I'll have a story up later Tuesday afternoon after the Adam Peters press conference. And that's what we're going to talk about today because Tuesday's the big day, folks. Adam Peters, the new, new the commander's new general manager, will be introduced at, during a press conference at 2 p.m. Eastern time. So first chance to talk to him, to ask some questions. Your first chance to hear about what he thinks about the the commander's the roster, his philosophy, all that kind of stuff. And we'll get to that in a minute. Also, one little programming note, Bram Weinstein, the voice of the commanders and I will do the live stream show Tuesday night. So that's 7.30 Eastern time. It'll be Bram and I talking a lot about Peters, of course, and answering whatever questions you may have. And then a little bit about the coaching search, which is an ongoing thing, of course. So some of the things that we're going to be looking at during this press conference is my big thing is why Washington? Because this is a guy that could have had a lot of jobs. There were two. There were a couple of other teams. The Raiders and the Chargers have openings. They wanted him. Tennessee, Carolina last year had openings. Or excuse me, Tennessee, Arizona had openings. He declined to interview for those. So <clears throat> why Washington? I think that's going to be an illuminating answer as to why a guy who was so entrenched in San Francisco is from that area, <clears throat> very respected there. And with John Lynch there, you know, he's going to keep moving up as long as Lynch keeps moving up. But, you know, maybe he thought that Lynch was not, was not going to leave for a few years. This is your chance. But there's got to be something more to lure him out of that um, position with San Francisco to take this one. I think that's going to be an interesting answer because, folks, it's a new day here in Washington. And so I think you're going to get the first taste of that on Tuesday from how he what he has to say about Josh Harris and the organization. It wasn't just Josh Harrison, those interviews. Of course, it was, it's magic. It's Mitch Rails. It's Bob Myers. It's Rick Spielman. So there's a lot of guys in there. There's a lot of, it's a lot of leadership power coming at you. So it'd be easy to be wooed um, by that. And and so clearly he was, but it's, it goes beyond that because you're not just going to be snowed by this. He's too smart for that. So what else does he see here that makes him want to come here? So that's what that'll be my my first question is exactly that. And I usually get the first question of these things. You know, so that's going to be my question will be that exactly. Why Washington? Um, what did he learn from his other stops? He was a scout for in New England. He was a scout in Denver and started rising up the ladder in Denver. And then, of course, he moved to San Francisco. So what things did he learn in those from those three organizations? Because and those are three highly successful organizations. I mean, he won Super Bowls in New England and Denver, and he got to the Super Bowl with San Francisco. So you're going to pick up a lot of stuff along the way 
and I know, listen, we can talk about two of them. The be quarterbacks is a huge one. Building the roster is a huge one, right? It goes beyond. If you just have the quarterback, you're going to need more. And if you don't have the quarterback, you're going to need the quarterback. So that's going to be always part of a roster building process. But I do think the biggest key that he'll, one of the big keys he'll talk about is collaboration. And I'm curious to hear what he has to say about that, why that's so important to him. I think, listen, it's kind of obvious. If you don't have collaboration, it's hard to, um, it's hard to go far as an organization. And I know because I've covered a team, an organization that didn't have that for a couple of decades. There were way too many times, including the last four years, especially now when you hear people talk that, you know, it wasn't, you know, Rivera and Mayhew may not have always been the same page or, or with Marty Herney, you know, got, it was just always, maybe it just wasn't always a collaborative effort. And it's not something, same page doesn't mean you agree on every person. It doesn't mean you think that, oh yeah, this guy's the best guy. We all think he is. Let's go draft him. That's not how it works. But when you're on the same page, you understand that it's for the organization. It's not about you. You're kind of, your ego gets checked a little bit. And it's about what's best for the organization, who has the conviction, why, how do you come to the decisions? And then when you come to that decision, are you doing it as an organization or are you doing it as an individual? Because when you, I've seen it here, when you do it as an individual or without input from, and not without listening to other people, it becomes a disaster. And again, it's just, you know, when, when, when Jay Gruden was here, for example, I brought this up a lot, you know, Zach Brown was not a guy the coaches wanted. Paul Richardson was not a guy the coaches wanted. They went out and signed them and signed those players because the owner or the, or Bruce Allen thought, Hey, you need a fast linebacker. Cause that's what the fans say. Well, actually it was, listen, me, I'll back up. It wasn't just what the fans said. They needed that, but Zach Brown wasn't that guy. And so, because he was, he was, while he was fast, he wasn't a really good player, right? There were times, as one person said, he looked like an all-pro, and times he didn't look like he knew how to play football. That's what people would tell you. But the point of it is, it wasn't a guy they wanted. And this happened throughout the years here, whether it was Dan Snyder injecting himself with wanting to get Jeff George when he had you know people here, the coaching staff, and Vinny Serrato, believe it or not, for a year held him off from getting Jeff George. And then he went out and got him because he basically told him, this is my bleeping team. You're going to do this. That, that stuff is gone. And so again, it doesn't mean they're always going to agree on, you know, if, if you're looking at number two, I think you start to, you're going to narrow it down to what you want, but it, you may have five guys who agree on player X and a couple others say this, and then you're going to, you, you kind of, go about and you, you go back and forth on it, but you come to an organizational decision and that's the difference. And again, that wasn't always happening here over the last, however many years, it's been a long time since I really feel like that happened. To be honest, you may have to go back to even the Joe Gibbs era because they were so intent on doing whatever Gibbs wanted. And he would kind of guide that, that maybe that was the last time. And, you know, but, and then like, to be honest, they needed somebody else who could help them because they gave up. There were some trades you're like, why did you give up this much for that player? You know, whether it's uh, TJ Duckett, Jason Taylor, whatever. So there were times where they just gave up too much for them because they, they just needed to get them. And that's where having a strong GM would have helped say, well, okay, you need that player. We need that player, but this is what we're going to do to get them. Right. And it's not just like, need them, go get them, give them the third. That's how it was. So, that's why it's so important. But anyways, the collaboration will be a topic at the press conference tomorrow. Being on that same page is so important that I can't tell you how many times I've heard that throughout this process. You know, 
from for a while now, but even especially over the last week or two, is just how important that is to this group and how important it is to Josh Harris that his GM is like that and that he works with the coach. So one thing too, I know some of you want to say, what is what is what is Adam Peters' on-field philosophy? What does he believe in as a team? And you know, that's important. But my my gut feeling is, and I would say educated feel is he's probably going to say, doesn't matter what he thinks. It matters what the coach, how the coach sees the how the on-field philosophy, because his job is to then help the coach succeed within that philosophy. Now, it's going to be important to him during the interview process because you're going to have to know, right? You have to know how what the coach wants in a player or how what kind of system they're going to run. And you're going to have some beliefs about how you think the modern NFL uh, game is and what you need to do and how you need to use guys, whatever. But my guess is in this situation, until they hire the coach, I don't think we're going to hear what his on-field philosophy is because it, it's to him, he's probably going to say it doesn't matter because it's what the coach wants and they don't want to lock into something that he wants. Like if Adam Peters came out and said, well, I believe in doing this, this, and this, and then the coach comes in and says something a little bit different, that's the first sign of not being on the same page. So his job is, has always been, I think one of the things he's learned throughout his time in the NFL is you're finding the talent to fit what that coach needs within that system. Now you may disagree with the player that fits that system. Like you may, there may be two guys who say, I like this guy better. or I like this guy better, but they both fit the system. The trouble here in the past has been, you'd have a couple of guys and they wouldn't always fit the system, but because they had a trait that the owner thought maybe they, that they lacked or someone else thought, well, well, we just need this kind of receiver because we gave up to Sean Jackson. Then that's how you end up making mistakes. So that is where I think you're going to see a big difference. So that's why I say, I don't know that he'll get into that because I think he's going to say it's about what the coach, you know, until they have the coach, you can't have, you can't lock into a certain philosophy on the field because what if you find a coach who says, well, this is like, what if you love this coach and he says, this is what I want. And you say, well, it's too bad because I already, but he could say, well, I already said that this is what I wanted. And now you're locked in that, but you don't lock yourself into that. So you just, you want, if you want to make a collaborative effort, you wait until you get the coach in and then you present a united front. That's what I think will happen. I'll be curious to hear how, what, how his scouting experience has helped shape, you know, and being 11 years of spending 11 years as a scout, how that has shaped how he does things now. And, you know, what some of the skills as an evaluator, because some of the things that he's excelled at is just being a very good evaluator of talent, how you start, how you look at those fifth, sixth, seventh round guys. And, you know, how, when you're going to like George Kittles, Brock Purdy, those kind of guys, what kind of things do you look for down the draft? Now, some of this stuff we're going to get into throughout the offseason. Not everything is going to be answered in the pre, in the main press conference. Listen, you get one, maybe two questions in these press conferences. So you're not always going to be able to get everything you want. And everybody's got a different story or a different topic that they're writing on. So not everything will be answered in one day. So don't, don't get annoyed if not every question that you want answered is answered um, in the first presser because there's a long way to go. He's signing a five-year, he signed a five-year deal. So he's going to be here for a while. So we got also draft press conferences. You have the combine, you have all those things. There's a lot of time to answer all those draft questions, but these are some of the things that I'd like to know as well as an evaluator. How do you approach some of that stuff? Um, I do. I do think um, some of the other questions. Um, 
he's been with Super Bowl teams. He's been with teams that haven't made it. What's the difference? What are some of the little things in an organization that you can do to get to build those sustainable programs? Because, you know, he came from one in New England and then San Francisco has done a really good job. Their, their problem has usually been when it's when there are too many injuries. That's always been the problem for, for the 49ers. And I know a lot of people want to know about the Trey Lance trade. Listen, man, it's one, it's, it's a big trade. It was one trade. They got a quarterback in the same draft in Brock Purdy. They did okay. But I understand that to me, and this is a this is probably more down the road. Maybe somebody asks it tomorrow. I don't know. I'm not going to because it's not germane to anything I'm writing. But down the road, you'd like to know just because as you get close to the draft, what lessons have you learned from your past, good and bad? And that certainly would be one that was bad for the for the 49ers organization. <clears throat> He's not the guy making that decision. He's not the guy recommending they go do this. There's no chance in hell that one guy, especially in his role, is going to be the decider in that kind of situation. Now, he'll give his input on a player, <clears throat> but when it comes to trades, those are other people doing it and what they decide to do. And then it's you know, there's no chance that he was a guy saying we've got to go get this guy. Now, is he part of that process? Of course. So, but what part of it? You know, and I told you before, I'm not sure that it's really fully evident. But that's something down the road. Just what lesson do you learn? Regardless of who's who made the decision, what did you learn from that situation that can help you moving forward? And and I think that's the important thing is what do you take out of it? Just like what did you take out of finding player X, Y, or Z who just done well. And then, you know, so what are the things that you learned to get to those questions right as well? So there's a lot to learn. I do think that the presence of Peters and this ownership group, it, again, we keep, I keep saying it signals a new day here, but I think you're going to see that reflected in, in, in their coaching search that they're going to get the guy that they want. That's just my gut feel. Now who that guy is again, just kind of, be patient with it because you're going to hear a lot of things about so-and-so is a top candidate and so-and-so is a top candidate. Well, some people were saying that Bill Belichick was the target a week ago. So in some of those, you know, so just be careful with that because let this process go. I don't think, I think there's certainly some guys that they probably like going into it. I, I think that's very true, but let it play out. And I think, I think that's what they're probably going to do. And again, I think that's one thing too, that will come up in this search is what are you looking for in a coach? And again, I think, I've told you, I think leadership is the number one thing, but what does that mean to you? What does leadership mean to you when you say you're looking for that? So another question that, that I would like to be curious because it pertains to what they're looking for right now. And, you know, I think you look at, he's come from a situation, the 49ers, you set up Kyle Shanahan, new head coach, John Lynch, new GM, and it's worked. Why did that work? What did you learn from that? Again, collaborative effort. That's a big key. Um, you know, clearly, Ask his opinion of the roster. Now, I don't know how much he'll really say about it. My sense from talking to people, a lot of people around the league over the last few days, is I don't think that, I think there, people are going to view this as a place that needs some work on the roster. And I think my strong sense would be he would feel the same way. So just understand, you may have to be asked to be patient for a couple more years, but this time the difference is you will have an organization in place that is in sync that has good, that should have good people that can build something that I think even if you're patient for another year or so, then maybe you get rewarded finally, because God knows you need it um, or you deserve it. So anyway, but I think, I do think like when you look at the roster, there's going to take some work. And that's why with that first pick, we'll get into all this down the road. 
What do you do there? If you love the quarterback, you take the quarterback. If you're not sold, can you trade back, get some more picks, do a lot more and build around that? That's that everything has to be on the table. right. So I would not dismiss a quarterback because you're afraid because you saw other quarterbacks fail. Well, listen, man, I've seen tackles fail. I've seen receivers fail. I've seen defensive ends fail, seen them all fail. So you can't operate that way. But to me with a quarterback, you better damn well really like him a lot if you're going to take him that high. Because if you don't, if you're not sold on the guy, trade back more picks, build, 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 get ammo for next year, whatever. But I don't, you know, well, there's a lot of time for that. Um, but I do want, but I think getting his thoughts on the roster and what he knows about the roster, what he's thought about the roster is a, is an absolute, absolute big deal, but I do think it's going to need some work here. And so buckle up for another fun trip. Um, again, coaching interviews taking place with this with place this week. They're all virtual interviews. The only one to know for sure about the day is, is Dan Quinn is on Thursday, but just know that they're going to be interviewing guys this week. And again, it was three days after the wild, their wild card game. That's when they can start interviewing the other, the next round of coaches virtually. And that, you know, Ben Johnson, Bobby Slowick. Um, so <clears throat> I haven't heard any new names uh, in regards to the coaching search. So again, that stuff will all come up at the press conference tomorrow. As far as Ben Johnson goes, you know, and that, that he's a guy that whose name keeps coming up. It will come up a lot whenever I talk to people because he's kind of, he's obviously the hot name. It doesn't mean he's the only name, but he is the hot name. And you watch that Lions offense and it's really freaking good. And, you know, they had a really good first half the other night and, and he struggled in the second half. But what I liked about that offense is a couple of things. And this is the stuff that kind of stands out when you talk to people is, you know, they, he's very big on getting some level of balance and, you know, they will run the ball. They will run some, they will run power runs and they run play action off that. And I think there's a strong belief you'll like this in the offensive line. And I'm going to get into this as we get into this search, but I'm going to kind of go over each coach and just kind of things that you hear about him. But one of the things I talk about with, with, with Ben Johnson is his belief, you know, what, how much the tackles in Detroit mean to that offense, what they can do. Um, and that, but he also, you know, he's, he's, they do have a good quarterback, um, they do have good skill talent and they have a really good, um, they have really good tight end. I'm on St. Brown is terrific. And Jameer Gibbs and David Montgomery are a nice backfield. So the other thing, when someone else was telling me too about him, um, that um, they love that what they liked is he runs some basic, there, there's some basic plays, but he gets to them sometimes on either different looks um, or a different tempo. You know, sometimes like you might just you get up the line, you're going quick. And that's something he does too. It's just a little twist, basic play, but a little twist. It's all you need. And, the, and that's, that's what I think he has shown through these playoffs. And it's why I think that he's opened some eyes and, and you look, you know, anyways, I'll get into more of him later. And then Bobby Sloak's another one that would be interesting because obviously Peters worked with him in San Francisco. I don't know his level of impact there. We saw it this year with CJ Stroud. Is that one year going to be enough? You know, I know. So well, you can look at it and say, well, he's worked with a young quarterback the last couple of years, but I don't know how close I I'm not sure how I'm not sure how closely he really worked with like Brock Purdy. I think um Brian Greasy was one and Kyle Shanahan was the other one that worked really closely with with Purdy. So I don't know what Slowick's role was with that. I know he's a pass game coordinator, but I don't know his role necessarily with Purdy and kind of helping him develop. I think it was a little bit more on other people. Um, I don't know. Obviously, who would know? Adam Peters. He did, but Sloak did a really good job with the Texans this year. And when you watch, when you watch that offense, especially on Saturday against the Browns, 
the thing that what I what jumped out to me when I was watching is like, oh my God, I'm watching Kyle Shanahan's offense because it's what they do. A lot of fooling in the eyes. And I think that's, you know, I enjoy that style of offense. Then you watch Ben Johnson. It's not necessarily the same. There are some elements to it, but, you know, that's, um, I think they do a good job again with just, you know, some power, some play action and all that. And we'll get into more of that later. So anyway, just want to bring those couple, those couple names up because I think they're interesting, but you know, there are other guys are going to be talking to this week as well. So anyway, that's it from me. Press conference, two o'clock Eastern time with Adam Peters. And then Bram Weinstein and I, the voice of the commanders, will be back at 7.30 Eastern time Tuesday night. Join us, bring your questions. And it's not Therapy Tuesday, folks. It's, it's more of, for you guys, it's a celebration Tuesday. So I'll talk to you next time.